Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message and God bless. We are going to uh, continue our Easter series entitled Passion, It Wasn't the Nails. And as we uh, spoke last week, we looked at, you know, that it was uh, not the crowds, it wasn't the Roman government, it wasn't uh, uh, anything that held Christ to the cross except for his love. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't any external thing that held Christ to the cross. He gave himself as a willing sacrifice. At any time, he could have been delivered from this if he had just said, God, I don't want to go through this. Father, I don't want to endure this. At any time, he could have said that. And you know what? He would have been immediately caught up. He would have been taken out of it. He would not have had to suffer any of it. But praise God that when he came to that moment, his love for us gave him the strength to go to the cross and suffer that pain and suffer all the things, the rejection, all the things that he would have to endure. And that he did go through with it and was raised again three days later. It was his love for mankind that held him to the cross. And, uh, and last week we looked specifically at his humble love and Jesus' humility and how you and I are supposed to emulate the humility of Christ. It was Christ humbling himself before God the Father. It was Christ esteeming others before himself. That's what humility means. It means to not be self, self-centered but to be outward focused, right? To look and put others ahead of ourselves. And that's what Christ did. One, he put the will of the Father ahead of himself. He put you and I ahead of himself. He humbled himself to the point of death. And so you and I are to live lives of humility and humble love as we interact and live in this world. And today I want to talk about his perfect love. His perfect love. His actions were fueled by humble love, but also they reflected a perfect love. Christ's death and obedience to death reflected God's perfect love for mankind. Uh, As we began, I was challenged to think of a uh, time that I completed a race or trained for some activity, and I have to be honest with you, I've really never trained in my life. Uh, honest to goodness, uh, for any kind of physical activity, as you can probably uh, tell. Uh, but uh, there was this time when my wife, there's uh, out at the Cove, Billy Graham's Training Center and Conference Center, uh, there's, was it three and a half miles? There's this three and a half mile hike that for, since 2014, my wife had been begging me to do. And I just got to tell you, uh, I don't like hikes, uh, and I don't like hikes up mountains. And I don't like hikes that are longer than a few feet, right? The hike up the stairs is about as much as I want to hike, right? Uh, But my wife had been begging me to do it. 
and uh, you know, we had been told that it was uh, a perilous. You had to bring walkie-talkies with you in case you got lost on the mountain, right? I mean, it was insane. And so I'm like, nah, I, I didn't do it, didn't do it. So finally, I, I started losing weight, and I started walking. And honestly, and I was like, okay, when we go this time to the cove, we're going to make this hike. And so I was walking uh, and uh, working hard so that when we got down there, we could actually do it. And uh, when we got there, even though there was some going back and forth, uh, some second thoughts on my part, ultimately I let the beauty of my wife uh, convince me uh, to go ahead and undertake this uh, incredible feat of endurance, at least for me. And so we started up this three and a half mile hike by God's grace and mercy. We actually made it to the top. Uh, of a mountain, and let me tell you, when I say mountain, like there were pieces of this trail that were like this, where that had been completely washed out, right, and you had to like step on rocks to get up, I mean, it was crazy, uh, I don't know how I made it, but I made it by God's grace and mercy, uh, and followed my wife up this mountain, uh, and, uh, but it did take some effort to get to where I could walk it, because I'll tell you, if I had not lost weight, if I had not been walking, I would have never made it. If I were to try to do that hike today and make that trip, I would die about uh, 40 feet into it. I would pass out and have to call on the radio and say, come, bring a crane uh, or a helicopter and airlift this brother out, right? Uh, so I don't know if any of you have uh, ever had something like that you were preparing for, a race or activity, a marathon, something of that nature. Uh, but the truth is, is that uh, you and I can never run a perfect race, but we are expected to run the race. Right. And Jesus Christ is our example in that he ran the perfect race. Everything that Christ did was perfect. Perfection. He walked according to God's will. He stayed in tune with the Father. The Bible says, Jesus says, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it first. He communed with the Father. Jesus went and prayed. Jesus, the Son of God, went and prayed to the Father. Like that just blows my mind away. He spent time alone with Father God. He did not act beyond the guidance and the direction of his Father. And so he lived an absolutely sinless, blameless, perfect life. Nothing he did was ever arbitrary. Nothing that Christ did was ever on accident. Look at me the first Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 24 through 26. It says, uh, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who complete, competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Uh, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Christ demonstrated his love through us by his perfection and perfect obedience to God's will, all the way even up to obedience and death. He was perfect. And you and I are challenged this morning to emulate him, to become more like him. We're being made in his image. And as such, we have to run our race. When you and I accept Christ as Lord and Savior, that was the same as the person on the track and field, uh, you know, shooting that gun off saying, go. We start running on that road. Now, some of us, if you're like me, you're walking. 
right? When you first start out, right? Uh, and then maybe over time you get to a fast walk, and then maybe a jog, maybe a run, right, as we progress in our Christian life. But within this Christian life, there are people walking, jogging, and running. Mm -hmm. We're all at different uh, areas in our life. But the key thing is we're moving forward. Right? And we're going to stumble. And we're going to mess up. We're not expected to be perfect like Christ, but we are expected to emulate Him and run the race and be obedient to the Father and not stop running. We're going to fall. We're going to trip. We're going to mess up. We're going to have circumstances, be hurdles that slow us down. You ever see the video on YouTube where they're showing, like, uh, I'm terrible about this. I love to watch those videos of, like, uh, people doing silly things and crashing and stuff. Not where they get hurt, but just where they topple over. Like America's Funniest Home Videos type stuff. And I'll watch those stupid montages and just laugh and belly laugh and thank God it's not me. But you ever seen the, uh, the athlete running and everyone's doing great over the hurdles and then that's that poor person who hits the first hurdle and the second hurdle and just can't make it over the hurdles, right? Uh, you know, but they don't stop giving up. Like they don't trip and keep going. I've seen them not even fall, hit the hurdle, trip a little, hit the next hurdle, right? Uh, but they get and keep going and they make it through the hurdles and they keep running the race. Listen, I got to tell you, there's been a time or two when I've hit hurdles and I fall. The key is, is do I get back up again or do I give up? Right. I believe it was Herschel Walker. They asked him what the key to his success was. One of the greatest running backs of all time. And he said, the key is I just get up one more time and I'm knocked down. Yeah. Right? What great uh, encouragement for you and I is you only have to get up one more time than you're knocked down. Yeah. Right? And so when we run this race, we're to do so with perseverance. Uh, we're not to do so with uncertainty. Here's the thing. Many people start a task in uncertainty. And you know what? They never finish the task. You have a drive to do something, but you're not really committed. Right? You've got this great idea that you're going to do. And so you go and you buy all the accessories, but you're not really committed. Right? And so you do it once or twice and you're like, this is too hard. And those accessories sit in the shed and collect dust until your wife sells them or throws them away. <laughs> right? We've all had things in our lives where we were going to start tasks, but when you start a task with uncertainty, you're never going to finish it. And Paul says, when you and I run the race, we are not to run with uncertainty. Here's the thing. We know where we're headed. We know our end. Our finish line is what? Heaven. We know the end. We know the ultimate finish line is heaven. And when we get there, we'll have our crown and we'll have healing and we'll never experience pain or tears or depression or anxiety or cry, crying. We'll never experience any sickness, any of that again. That's our finish line. So we need to run with certainty straight ahead towards that prize. Make up our minds. And go so that every time we face circumstances, we don't give up, we get back up again. Also says that we're to run and, or to not fight as one who beats the air. You know, Jesus ran that perfect race and Jesus was very deliberate in all that he did. He was, when he came to earth, he came to give his life. And even when he cried and said before God the Father and said, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, if it's not, I'm going to go forward. Let your will be done. So he made up his mind when he left heaven. He was going to finish that race. His mission 
He had a passive and an active mission, but his main mission was to come to earth to die upon the cross and raise from the dead three days later. That was his main goal. And when he came to earth, he came with that in mind, and he knew in order to do that, he had to stay in constant communion with the Father and his directions. And he had his mind made up when he came, I'm not going to give up. Even when I know this is coming and it's going to hurt the night before when he was going to be turned over, he knew it was coming. He still did not give up because he was not running with uncertainty. In addition, Christ was deliberate, as I said. He made simple things into opportunities for ministry. Everything Christ did was not an accident. He didn't stumble into anything. Everything was deliberate, right? You and I, uh, we need to run our race, and we need to not be like boxers who are shadow boxing. Uh, you ever seen a, a boxer shadow box? Here's the thing. I, I'm not a boxer. Uh, I, I had a fight or two when I was in elementary school <laughs> and middle school, right? Uh, fortunately, most times I came out on the, the upper side of that just because I was bigger than the other guy who picked the fight. Uh, but, uh, you know, there were times when I was, I, uh, I'm embarrassed to say, but I would be fighting, and you already see I don't know how to fight because I'm holding my hands like this, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, I would miss 15 punches, but I only needed to land one, right? right? But I would be like, oh, and let me tell you something, when you're fighting the air, it hurts worse than when you just land and hit a punch. I'm going to tell you. I'm sure Mr. Pete knows what I'm talking about. Punching a boxing, you know, punching a punching bag or whatever. You actually, uh, it hurts more and you wear yourself out more punching the air. Because you're flailing around. You have no discipline, right? Like, uh, you, uh, you know, you're not trained. You're just flailing around. You're punching the air. There's no purpose to what we're doing. Right? And we have no training and we're not focused. And guess what? All you do is end up hurting yourself, pulling a muscle. Mm. Right? Hurting your shoulder. Doing something wrong. Right? We're not to be just boxing the air like we don't have a goal in mind. We have a purpose. We have a goal to serve and walk after Christ, to be uh, emulate Him, to be formed in His image. And so we're not supposed to be just boxing the air. But we have a very deliberate role and purpose here on this earth. And God wants us to walk in it. We have a purpose. We're not just supposed to run around aimlessly, right? And, and, and wasting energy on things that don't matter. Jesus did, never did anything that didn't matter. And that's hard to comprehend. But Christ, everything he did had a purpose. Everything. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin uh, which so easily ensnares us. Now let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This morning, based on this scripture, I want to talk about Jesus, who is the author, the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who lived the perfect life. He is our example. And the Hebrews tells us to look towards him as we're running. Why? Because he led the way. He ran the perfect race. He is our example. Right? And because he ran the perfect race, we know that we can make it to the finish line and there is a reward at the finish line. 
And so we are to look towards him as an author and the finisher of our faith because of his obedience and the way that he ran his race. And so how do we run like Christ? How do we run a race that is acceptable before God? How do we run a race that uh, is worthy uh, of our walk with Christ? And the first thing is this, is that we have to keep our eyes centered upon Jesus and upon the price that he paid upon the cross. It was his passion, his love for humanity that held him on the cross. And if you and I want to experience that type of obedience to God, where we are obedient to the point of it hurting, where we're obedient to the point of it being painful, so that we can finish our race, because let me tell you something, uh, God's going to ask you to do some things sometimes that you don't want to do, that hurt, that are painful. Uh, choices, to make choices that you don't want to make. We talked a little bit about that in Bible study this morning. Uh, and uh, I got a little too real, I guess, with everybody. But things that I've struggled with, this chapter was uh, convicted me because, you know, the truth is sometimes we're asked to do things that we simply don't want to do. God wants us to do or has a plan for us that we don't want to make that hard choice because it hurts. But in order for us to make that choice, we need to center our eyes upon Christ. Why? Because the truth is Christ did more than I would ever be asked of me. The suffer, the suffering, the rejection. He was perfect, didn't deserve any of it. Yet he suffered and endured all the way through to obedience, all the way to the cross. And so we must keep our eyes centered upon him. There is a difference between glancing and gazing. Right? Uh, when you are, are driving, uh, you know, you could glance at something, something kept something out of your peripheral vision, right, uh, and glance, but you really you're, you're gazing on what's in front of you. You should be on the road in front of you. Uh, but if you turn your gaze, what happens? Now you're not watching the road and what's happening in front of you. You're now looking to whatever's on the side and whatever's going to, something bad might happen in front of you. Right, I've had, I had an incident one time when I was uh, not paying attention. I got distracted by the radio, and I went to turn the radio, and there was a parked car, and I went right into the side all the way down that parked car because I looked down at my radio, and I went to the side that my radio well, was you know, on and because I averted my gaze. And so what we have done is that we should be glancing at the world and gazing on Christ. But what many Christians have done is we are glancing at Christ and gazing on the world. Mm, right? right? And uh, in order for you and I to be successful and run a successful race, we have to be focused on Christ. We have to keep our eyes gazing. We have to gaze upon Christ. Focused on Him. What He did. His leadership. Uh, his example. His love for us. Yes. Right? To keep us moving forward when everything is vying to our attention on the left and the right. It's okay to glance. Just don't gaze at what is not Christ. Right? It's okay to enjoy the flowers on the trees. Right? It's okay to stop and smell the roses. Right? It's okay to do those things. But it's not okay to take our eyes off of Christ and stop focusing on him. And many people, uh, Christians today, are struggling 
and they feel lost and they feel hopeless and they feel uh, like they uh, don't have strength because they're not looking to the source of their strength. You know, even maybe unconsciously they're looking to the world for their strength and because they're looking to the world for comfort and peace and joy and experiences and looking for all of these things, looking at the world instead of focusing upon Christ. We're glancing at him on Sundays. Right? Giving him a glance on Sundays, but then Monday through Saturday, we're glazing at the world, or gazing at the world. Mm. Right? And, and so if we're going to be successful in this race, we have to keep our eyes centered upon Christ. One of the ways we do that is through prayer. And, and Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we are to pray without ceasing. Mm -hmm. Now, that's hard for me to comprehend or understand, you know. Um, you know, how do you pray without ceasing? How do you stay focused on God all the time? Right? But you and I can be in constant communion with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Right? Every single day, despite of what our schedules are, we are to remain in constant communication and companionship with him. Following after him. Uh, uh, keeping our eyes centered upon him. Praying without ceasing simply means always, to me, being in a state of proper communion with God. Mm. What does that mean? It means that I don't let sin keep me in a, in, in a place where I cannot freely call out to God. You ever, uh, and I'm sure none of you have had this in your life, uh, but uh, I've had occasions where I would let sin uh, get, into a, get into my life or, or, or get into a place and I averted my gaze from Christ to the gaze to that center to the world. And guess what? Before I could pray, I had to pray for 15 minutes for forgiveness. <laughs> and the guilt and the shame, I still didn't want to pray and ask God for anything or even worship Him because of my guilt and my shame from, glaring or, uh, from uh, gazing at the world instead of gazing at Christ. A prayer without ceasing to me means being in constant, proper relationship, nothing separating us from Him, so that all day, 24 hours a day, I'm in proper communion with Him, and open communion between the two of us. We're not to disrupt that communion. And so the course comes with that, the ability to pray whenever, wherever we are. To call upon Christ's name, to worship Him, Wherever we are, in your car, in your shower, laying in the bed at night, he's always there beside you. And you can call upon him. You're always in proper communion. But sin breaks that communion, and it keeps us from having a proper uh, relationship with him. And so therefore, we lose sight of God. We lose sight of Christ. Uh, and now, we're going to stumble in our race. We're, we're going to fall. Uh, the Bible says that anyone who puts their hand to the plow and starts walking forward but then looks back is not worthy. Right? Because the minute what happens, you start pushing that uh, forward. If you look back over your shoulder, you're not focusing on what's in front of you and you're either going to go off path or something bad is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so uh, many of us live our lives, oh goodness, many of us live our lives uh, through the rearview mirror. Oh. Right? Constantly either distracted by our past, distracted by the people, the drivers behind us. Right? You've all had that guy tailgating you. You've all, all had that guy uh, driving like a maniac behind you 
or around you and you're just keeping an eye on him with all your mirrors, right? Uh, but we, we live our lives distracted by everything going on around us instead of keeping focused what's happening outside the windshield. Right. right? And listen, mirrors are good, but you don't drive with a mirror. Right. Right? Uh, and so, you know, we, it takes our focus off of our primary objective, and our primary objective is following after Christ. Next, we have to endure whatever the race brings. We have to endure whatever the race brings. And that's one of the reasons why it's critical that we cannot be indecisive when we start to run the race. Right? We have to run with an objective, a goal, with purpose. Uh, because if you and I are not running that way, the first time that we face any kind of hiccup, pain, suffering, we will quit. We will give up. And the Bible makes it clear that there will be hard times when you and I are running the race. It's guaranteed. Jesus said they hated me, they're going to hate you. That's right. Jesus said, uh, you know, uh, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Right? In this world, bad things are going to happen. Stinky things are going to happen. You're going to have tribulation. Right? Trials. You're going to have that pressure, that crushing pressure on you. Guaranteed you're going to run into some hurdles. Some taller than others. Right? Some hurdles that you can't hop. You're going to have to climb over. Right? We're going to face those hurdles and obstacles, and Christ guarantees it. If we're living a life obstacle-free, we're probably running on the wrong racetrack. Mm. Well, right? If we're running our race and it's like a nice flat, oval track, oh, we're probably uh, running, running the wrong race. If you're running the race with Christ, you're going to face obstacles. Right? Obstacles that God allows in our lives to help grow us, mature us, make us stronger, draw closer to Him. But then also the obstacles the enemy throws in there uh, to derail us. That banana peel every once in a while that we'll slip on. Right? A circumstance that He casts in there to try to get us uh, to fall and, and be distracted as well. The Bible says that Christ was ultimately willing to endure the cross for the joy set before Him. Now, my goodness gracious... Would you look at the cross and from the perspective of Christ and look at it as a, from a, a, spect, a, a uh, perspective of joy? I sure don't. But yet it says that Christ endured the cross for the joy set before him. You and I are his joy. Reconciling us was joy for Christ. He did it. That he knew that his death and his suffering, you and I, uh, brought him joy knowing that he was going to reconcile us to himself. So he was willing to endure that because he was looking for the joy on the other side. The joy that one day you and I would call him Lord and Savior. As I said last week, when, I was on the, or when he was on the cross, I was on his mom. Right? That joy. He was thinking your name, my name, and all the people that would call upon him as Lord and Savior, and he, he made the conscious decision to say it's worth it. How many of us look at pain and suffering and from the perspective of saying, worth it? <laughs> I sure don't. Now, maybe after the fact, I've, uh, you know, said worth it, but honestly, during it, 
Or even before, if you gave me the choice, I'm going to run around it every time. Right? I'm not going to run uh, through pain and suffering. But Christ knew full well, and he ran towards it anyway. It would be like knowing the Titanic was going to sink and getting on anyway. Knowing, right, what you're going to experience, yet doing it anyway. Why? Because you're looking at the outcome, not at the experience. And we need to follow Christ's example by looking at the outcome, not at the experience itself. Listen, there is something beautiful about seasons of suffering. That's tough, ain't it? Because when I'm in the midst of suffering, I can't see the roses for the thorns. Right? When you and I are uh, suffering, you can't see the beauty many times because of the pain and the hurt. We're distracted by the thorns. And by the way, that's a very good quote that no one said amen to, so I'm kind of hurt by that. Uh, but uh, no, I mean, we do. We, we cannot see the beauty because of the thorns. And so, but the truth is, is there is beauty there. There is beauty, there's beauty in our suffering and many times we can't see it until we're through. Mm -hmm. But it is there, right? And then what we could do is take that and we go and plant a garden somewhere else yeah. to help somebody else see the beauty in their suffering. Mm -hmm. We're there for them, to help them through it, to not focus on the thorns, but to see the beauty, right? So there is beauty. Of course, the beauty of Christ's suffering is the fact that you and I can sit here today and call him Lord and Savior. As brutal as it was, there was beauty in his obedience. Oh, man, that's good, too. As, as brutal as his rejection, his death, his suffering was, there was beauty in the obedience. And then, obviously, in the resurrection from the dead and the fact that you and I are now reconciled to him. His creation can now be reconciled to him. Uh, my mom uh, can tell this story better than I can, but there was a time uh, when my, right after my dad died and it took a, a while to get uh, his insurance and mom was uh, uh, just babysat kids. She did was just a little bit of supplement to my dad's uh, income. So with his income gone and there was no insurance money yet, we didn't know what we were gonna do. Now, of course, she kept this hidden from myself and my brothers, but she later told this story to us later. Uh, she didn't know what she was going to do. Uh, the insurance wasn't, uh, wasn't coming through. Uh, and it, uh, But what did happen, unbeknownst to her, was my dad had a policy on his car that when he died it would be paid off. Mm. Well, that's cool. Thought that the car itself would be paid off. But what happened was they ended up not only paying off the car, they also covered all of the interest that would have been paid if the car had finally been paid over time. So my mom got a check for the exact amount she needed from that interest being overpaid or being paid back so that she could make it until my dad's insurance money could come in. Mm -hmm. She was scared. She could tell the story better, better than I can, but she was put in a position where she had to trust God. She had no way out. So not only was she dealing with the death of her husband, but now she had two little boys uh, that she had to take care of, that she didn't know what she was going to do. How was she going to put food on the table? How was she going to take care of us? How was she going to pay the mortgage? 
Mm. Right? She didn't know. And, uh, but she had to put her faith and her trust in God. At the moment, there was no beauty in that. Mm. But when God provided, all of a sudden it goes from thorns to roses. When God provided, all of a sudden she sees how great God is, the gardener is. That he's got a plan. Yeah, the fertilizer don't taste good. But it's there for a reason to make the plant healthy and beautiful. Right? And to reflect the beauty of the creator. Right? And so when you and I are going through that fertilizer of life, that manure of life, right? It's there for a reason. To, for, to make us beautiful, to reflect the image of, of Christ, God's Son, so that we reflect the beauty and, of our Creator. And that's where the beauty comes in. But man, I tell you, it's hard to see the beauty when you're in the midst of it. It's so very hard, but we have to strive to look, try to take ourselves back and not focus on the thorns, but to look at the beauty of the actual uh, rose. If we'll do that, it will help you and I to keep running the race in spite of what we face. Why? Because we know this isn't going to last forever. Remember, nothing you face will last forever. Nothing you and I go through. No sickness, no pain will last forever. Right? Uh, we will ultimately wind up in glory. Right? So we have to focus on that joy to keep us moving forward. The beauty that God is developing. My uh, wife, and I think I've told you this before, went through a phase. We had this kind of hill in our backyard, and um, she decided that she wanted to be a flower bed. And uh, I still today call it the world's largest flower bed. Uh, and she got me out there with a tiller. And I tilled this whole hill, and I was mad. I'm not going to lie. I was angry. I was sweaty. I definitely didn't see the beauty there. Uh, and uh, what's funny is uh, neither her or I are, of course, landscapers. I'll tell you, even after we put some plants in it, I hated that thing. It was a barren wasteland with three or four plants in it. And the plants died. <laughs> right? So finally... I said, honey, I can't do this anymore. This is awful. Uh, so we agreed to bring in a professional. Now the professional could see what we couldn't see, or well, maybe she saw it, I couldn't see it. All I saw was a barren wasteland of awfulness that covered my whole hill. He came in and could see the big picture. And when he was done, it was gorgeous, beautiful. Mulch, river stone, the whole kit caboodle, the plants. It was beautiful. I couldn't see it. I hated it. I didn't want it anymore. I've made fun of it every time my wife, I got a chance. I made fun of it. I hated that thing. But someone who could see the beauty of it, who was skilled, was able to come in and develop it and make it beautiful. Right? And that's what God does for us. And finally, we must remember that we are not alone. I think one of the things that make that, that, that us Christians causes them to want to give up the most is just feeling lonely. Mm -hmm. Alone. That is one of the devil's greatest tricks is he loves to make you and I feel like we are alone. I've had periods of my life 
long periods and stretches. And I wish I could tell you it was uh, way in the past, but it's not. I've got stuff that I face too where I decide that I'm lonely, I'm all alone. Poor, pitiful me. Right? We all have that. Christians have that feeling alone. Like no one loves them, no one cares about them, and even feeling like God isn't there. God, why have you forsaken me? Mm -hmm. Why, where are you? Where are you, Jesus? Where are you? But we must remember that you and I are never alone. When you and I accept Christ as Lord and Savior, guess what happens? God dwells in you. So he's always there. The Holy Spirit is with you. You are the temple. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. He now dwells inside of us, so that means God is there all the time. Right? We're never alone, but the enemy loves to convince you and I that we are alone. Look at Jesus. When he was going to the cross, what did he say to Peter, James, and John? Stay awake and pray for me. He was scared. He was afraid. He was clearly agitated. I mean... They, they, how those three guys didn't recognize Jesus was not his calm, normal self is beyond me. They were his closest of all the 12 disciples. But anyway, they, when Jesus said, please, pray with me. And they fell asleep. And he came out and saw them asleep. And he said, you guys, pray with me. He goes back and they fell asleep again. Why the devil loves to make us think that we're alone. Mm -hmm. He wanted Jesus to feel alone. That even those three, his trusted, that it was in his inner circle, the inner circle of the inner circle, were not even there for him. Mm -hmm. Look at Peter and how he betrayed Christ three times. It hurt even though Jesus knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. Right? The devil wants you and I to feel alone and he will orchestrate and do whatever it takes for us to feel alone. Do you think that Peter, James, and John did that out of uh, deliberately fell asleep? Were they trying to hurt Jesus? Were they trying to be, uh, you know, bad? Were they? No. They fell asleep. They got tired and they fell asleep. They didn't understand the urgency of the situation. Well, here's the thing. People are not always going to understand the urgency of your pain. Right. And they can't read our minds. <coughs> right? They don't know. Right? And so... We have to take comfort and know that God is there with us in spite of what we see with our eyes and also recognize that they're with us. Maybe we just need to talk to them and share. You ever been going through something and got mad that someone didn't reach out to you but you never told them anything was wrong? <laughs> I've been married for 27 years and there have been times my wife has been mad at me and I can tell you I had no idea why. There's been a couple of those. Most of them I know, honey. Stop making faces. <laughs> um, the, uh, but there have been those times where I was like, what in the world is she mad at? I'm amazing. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow. But, you know, I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. Meanwhile, she thinks that I did something horrible, you know? Uh, but I don't know what I did. Right? And until she tells me, I have no idea. I can't correct it. I can't be there. I can't do what's necessary until she tells me. So listen, uh, if you're mad that the pastor hasn't prayed for you or reached out to you, I may not know what's going on. Mm, right. Right? And also, if you make it a habit of not telling me when things are wrong, I think you don't want to be bothered. Mm. We don't have to suffer in silence. Mm. 
We're not alone. God is always with us. And we also have our brothers and sisters in Christ. And don't let the devil get in your mind and convince you they're against you. Right. Because, man, that's what he wants to do. Right. He will use words that were spoken, um, what's the right way? Uh, just spoken without thinking. Someone thinks that what they're saying is not even, uh, doesn't mean anything. But he will use those in somebody else's mind to destroy them. Right? He will use things to destroy you that weren't meant to be harmful or hurtful. So we got to know that we're not enemies here. Right. That we love each other. And I've said it a million times. Show the grace to others that you want shown to you. Yes. Right? So, you know, we, we have to know that we're not enemies, that we're here to support each other, and no one is alone. You have me, you have each other, and more than anything, God is always there. John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will pray to the, Father, to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That is the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. God is with us, he will never leave us, and he will never forsake us. You're never alone, and don't let the enemy convince you otherwise. You watch those videos of, the inspirational videos, which aren't nearly as awesome as the ones where they get hurt, but... Uh, fall and do silly stuff, but you know they. Uh, we, have you seen the videos where you know uh, one recently was a, a, tra a track video where uh, the girl hurt herself and wasn't going to make it, and the person in the first place stopped to help her get across the finish line. Okay. And there's been several of those out there, right, where they sacrifice their position to help somebody, right? But that person who hurt themselves is thinking, "Oh, it's over. Mm. I'm done." I'm alone on this track. They're not allowed to help me. They're not supposed to help me. No, no one is uh, uh, selfless enough to come back and help me. They're going to run right by me. Right? And that happens to you and I. We get hurt on a run with Christ. We hit the ground, and we think we're all alone, and everyone's going to run by us like a stampede. But there should be always that one who reaches down and takes that person by the hand, even if it means a inconvenience. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To be that shoulder, to help them keep running until they're able to run on their own again. Right? To lean on. But you and I also have to be willing to lean on that person. To not try to be self-self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you're not alone and if you're hurting and you feel alone, you're not. And we're here for you and most of all, Christ is there for you. So if we want to run the race, if we want to emulate Christ's perfect love, then we have to run our race with endurance, with focus, with purpose, right? Never give up. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.